A breathtaking view of the rolling hills of Scotland, where Queen Elizabeth II has begun her final journey home. Her coffin now en route from Balmoral Castle to Edinburgh. It's a day of remembrance here in the U.S. as well, with a service underway in New York to mark 21 years since the September 11th attacks. We're also watching ceremonies at the Pentagon, where President Biden will speak in the next hour. We'll carry his remarks live. Welcome to a special edition of State of the Union. I'm Dana Bash in Washington, along with Don Lemon in Scotland. And Don, there is a lot to reflect on as we cover two really important stories this morning. Yeah, you said that right, Dana. Here in Scotland, we are seeing an outpouring of love, of grief, and really of deep respect as people turn out to pay tribute to Queen Elizabeth and to get a glimpse of the hearse carrying her coffin. We're following the procession every step of the way, including the arrival ceremony at the Palace of Holyrood House here in Edinburgh, a little over two hours from now. Dan, I look forward to being back with you a little bit later on in the hour. Yes, Don, we'll get back to you. And we're here at the table talking first about 9-11. We're waiting for the first moment of silence uh, to come about the North Tower being hit for the first time. John, you were at the White House on 9-11. After the North Tower was hit, I was at a meeting downtown and one of our White House producers texted me, think it's a small plane, probably not a big deal, but maybe you want to head over here a little earlier than you were planning. Uh, and made my way to the White House, was going through the North Gate when they evacuated. Uh, remember that day as if it was yesterday. Uh, women running out of the White House, their heels, the shoes falling off. Uh, our cameramen. Hang on one second. Let's pause for a moment of silence in New York, marking the exact time when the first plane hit the World Trade Center, striking the North Tower. It just brings back all of the emotion, the horror, the disbelief 
Uh, the confusion of that day, the fear of that day, um, just the questions throughout the day. As I said, I was going through the northwest gate of the White House just as they were evacuating us, and our producers and our crew just did heroic work. I remember we fixed a camera on the residence. We fixed a camera on the west wing. I ran down to the White House booth in the basement and called here to the bureau to make sure the microphone where we track our pieces was open. We were thinking a plane was going to hit the building. Uh, and then they rushed us out. The Secret Service gave us a few minutes of grace. As you're speaking, I just want to point out that's right. Vice President Kamala Harris right. uh, in New York. On that Excuse day, we were trying York. to figure out, we, as that scene was playing out, we would find out moments later, they literally were picking up the then Vice President Dick Cheney from his office and taking him. We learned all the Cold War alphabet soup, PIOC, Presidential Emergency Operations Center, deep below the White House, where they took the Vice President. Remember, President Bush was in Florida, uh, from Florida to Louisiana to Nebraska, then back to the White House that night. Uh, we were reporting across the street in Lafayette Park, the Secret Service, the brave uniformed Secret Service standing with automatic weapons. I'd never seen them with automatic weapons on the grounds of the White House surrounding the building. They couldn't leave. They, they thought a plane was coming to hit the building and they couldn't leave and they stood there. Uh, just a day of confusion. And it wasn't too long into that day where people started, once you figured out how to reach people again, which was hard on that day, uh, we started to hear the words Osama bin Laden and everything in America changed that day. Susan Glasser. Yeah, that's right. I, it, it's hard to realize that there are these moments, right, that there's a before and an after. And that was one of those moments. And, you know, we were in Moscow. We were reporters for The Washington Post. We were in Moscow, actually deep inside the Russian Ministry of Defense when the first plane hit uh, and we didn't know what to think of it. We moved on with this Pentagon delegation to a press conference. In the middle of the press conference, the second plane hit uh, and a very, very large uh, uniformed uh, Marine came in and literally physically dragged the Pentagon officials out. But it was Vladimir Putin who was the very first world leader to call President Bush that day. And, you know, it's a reminder that our first instincts about what the consequences of a catastrophe are going to be aren't necessarily, uh, you know, what actually results. And, of course, today... You know, you have Russia at war not only with Ukraine, but uh, a rift really with the United States and the rest of the Western world. Yeah, everything has changed in so many ways. Abby Phillip. Yeah, I, and I think especially for people in my generation, I was in the eighth grade when 9-11 happened. Most of my adult life has been, most of my life has been in the post-9-11 world. I mean, those moments, as you were saying, in those moments of silence, it just brings you back to the feeling of dread, the feeling of uncertainty in those days. I grew up not far from Washington, just a few miles north of here, and my dad was working in downtown D.C. that day. And I remember being in the classroom and the word just passing like wildfire in our school. They rolled our TV in so that we could start to watch the news. But we were on lockdown because everyone in this surrounding area, kids in school, people at work, didn't know whether to stay or to go. And eventually we did go home. And eventually my dad came home after trying to get through basically gridlock in Washington. But my whole life basically has been shaped by that moment. Our entire understanding, my generation, the millennials and those who are younger than us, our entire generations are shaped by this world to the point where there is almost no memory of the world that comes before it. And uh, so many people, I mean, 21 years, people who were born on 9-11, my niece was born on 9-11. And uh, those kids are... 
um, you know, they are a voting age. They are participating in our democracy today, and they are living in a world that has been forever changed by those moments. Yeah, and I, you're talking about women. Yeah, no, no question, Abby. And John, you were talking about being at the White House and watching uh, women in particular running so fast they were losing their shoes. I was at the Capitol on 9-11, same kind of scene. And uh, we thought we were okay. We were evacuated to the lawn right outside of the Capitol building. And then all of a sudden, the Capitol police started to scream, run, run for your life. It turns out, we learned later, that that's when they knew that Flight 93, which ended up uh, crashing in Pennsylvania, thanks to some, thanks to some real heroes, was heading towards either the Capitol or the White House, it turns out. It was the Capitol. But just the absolute uncertainty. And again, the, the, the feeling of, of seeing and hearing the people who were there to protect you having fear because they didn't know what was happening. You could see it in their eyes. Uh, the Secret Service kept screaming, run, just screaming, run uh, at the White House. Uh, and uh, I just, to Abby's point, I remember, you know, Noah and Hannah, my older children, were third grade and first grade. And it took a while. First you're doing your job, and then you realize, oh, my God, my children, uh, you know, who live in suburban D.C. And so you, where are they? Are they okay? Are they locked down? And that was the juggle of the day, trying to deal with work. Uh, and then the immediate thing, you know, where was the president? Were they really going to bring him back to Washington? Was it safe to bring him back to Washington? Uh, we, again, you find out, I remember, you know, Karen Hughes, Mary Madeline went with the vice president, Dick Cheney at the time, down to the Presidential Emergency Operations Center. Well, you, know, you don't know the switchboard to get through there. Cell phones weren't working uh, for most of the day. Uh, it was just this crazy, confusing day. And I still, 21 years later, every time I hear these names read, it gives me chills. And we should remember each and every one of them. It's incredibly important to remember that day and the heroes who died that day in all of the locations. Incredibly important to remember. And then you can connect to Susan's point. Big events change world history. Uh, in the U.K. right now, they're wondering what the death, death of a queen will do to the future of the U.K. and the Commonwealth and so on and so forth. 9-11 changed everything. And you can trace it back to the creation of the TSA, the creation of the Department of Homeland Security, uh, a scrambling of the security state, including some steps that went too far in history. And then you can look at our politics today. It was a moment, you mentioned the Putin call. That brought America and the world together. 9-11 brought, we, it's hard to remember in the polarized, messy world we live in now, that there was a brief period of global unity, not just American unity, but global unity. And then the Iraq War dissipated that. And you can, you can trace, it was the Iraq War is a legacy of 9-11 that brought us Obama presidency, and the nativism and the fear and the xenophobia is also a legacy of 9-11, and that's what brought us Trump. You can trace everything, every big thing that has happened in our politics since, you can trace back to that day and the forces it unleashed. I want to bring in Barbara Starr at the Pentagon. Barbara, um, I know it's, it's always a difficult day and an odd day because it's also your birthday. So I guess it's time to say happy birthday, but it certainly has changed uh, this day for you forever. Uh, and I have heard you tell the story multiple times of you uh, waking up saying, oh, it's a beautiful day. I think I'll have an easy day today. It's my birthday. And then the world changed and your world in particular changed being at the Pentagon. So much like all Americans. Uh, permit me just to say for one minute, uh, the one piece of good news is I was able to call my family mm -hmm. uh, before the cell phones went down because, of course, they know that I work inside the Pentagon. So they were able to hear from me. But moving on from that, uh, it is the heroism that immediately emerged in this building. I was uh, 
I got out very quickly and was on the side of the building where you see the memorial, the actual impact site of Flight 77, where 184 souls here uh, lost their lives. Uh, the fire was massive, and even before emergency services could get here, um, the, the police were calling for anybody who had medical training to please step forward. And what you saw were dozens and dozens of military personnel rushing forward to do whatever they could to help. And it, it would be the beginning of a real journey of some 21 years. Heroism in the seconds after the plane hit, and all the way to the heroism that we saw at Kabul International Airport during the very troubled uh, withdrawal and evacuation uh, several months ago when so many service members again lost their lives in a terrorist bomb. It, it always strikes me that that really has bracketed this era of uh, the portion of the war on terror that was the war in Afghanistan. Here at the Pentagon, um, again, it's what you, got, you guys were saying a minute ago. Sure, the years have gone on, and there are less and less people here at the Pentagon uh, that uh, served uh, in an active uh, duty combat zone. We, most of the young people joining the military today will never see uh, combat in Afghanistan, combat in Iraq. That's, that's a good thing, uh, that they will not have to serve in combat, that uh, they will not be terribly wounded or their families will not have to make the ultimate sacrifice. But it is now, again, a new era in the U.S. military. I think it's very fair to say the U.S. military, national security, finally beyond a bit of the 9-11 era in that operations have changed. People will not see these combat zones. Uh, and we will see how it all moves forward. But the thing that doesn't change, President Biden, the U.S. commander-in-chief, uh, paying his respects today here at the Pentagon uh, at the time, in a, just a short time, marking the time that the plane hit, but really paying respects across the nation and across the world to those who were killed at all three impact sites and to the sacrifice, I think, that the U.S. military and military families have made now for so many years. Yeah, so well said. I want to go back to New York. Uh, right now, uh, Polo Sandoval, you're there. 21 years ago, people were super unclear about what that first plane really was. Was it a small plane? Uh, we didn't really know. Uh, obviously, shortly after, we, we knew because a second plane hit. Uh, you're there at the site. What are you seeing? Right, Dana. 21 years ago, there was so much that we did not know at that moment. And here we are 21 years later as we approach this second moment of silence, which will mark the moment that the second tower was hit by that aircraft. And, and what was really striking to me, Dana, was in, in spending some time around those memorial pools are these families that come in. It's clear that they are, this, this date clearly brings back the memories, the pain. But I have to say there was also a sense of pride that these families carried with them, literally many of them wearing buttons with their loved ones' faces on them. And they come closer to the memorial with flowers in hand, prepared, yes, to, to remember that date, but more than anything to celebrate the legacy of their loved ones, Stannis. So, yes, I think that that was perhaps the most striking thing for me this morning in spending some time at the memorial plaza where these names, close to 3,000 names once again, echo through that hollowed ground, through that sacred space as we approach that uh, second moment of silence here in just a few moments, marking the moment that that uh, second aircraft hit the South Tower here in New York.
and 21 years since uh, the family members we're seeing now and every other one in New York reading off their family members' names that they have not been with their father, their brother, their uncle, their, their daughter, their son, their husband. You know, Dana, uh, when I grew up just outside of New York City, uh, and I just recently saw my neighbor who's lived there for decades uh, alongside my parents. He lost his son uh, on 9-11, uh, Scott Johnson. He was one of my brother's closest friends. Uh, my brother went back and, and wrote about the family a few years later. But, you know, that was a tragedy that changed their family. For Susan, I'm, I'm going to continue the story, but for a moment we're going to watch President Biden laying a wreath at the Pentagon. President Biden, he's, you see him there paying tribute, laying a wreath there. And John, I was covering the Capitol, as I mentioned, on 9-11. Joe Biden was a senator from Delaware and a senior uh, member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. I don't remember if he was, he was chairman. Was he, he was chair. And so I would watch in the days afterwards people like him and others not just try to figure out how to help the country economically, but most importantly at, at that moment was try to get a handle of, on who this was, how and whether and when to retaliate. And, and also, were the threats still very viable? That, that was the biggest question that day. Would there be a second wave? Uh, they used airplanes to attack the World Trade Center, financial capital of the United States, the Pentagon, the military might, that third plane, the heroes of Shanksville, uh, that plane headed for the White House or the Capitol to hit our political um, monuments, if you will. Uh, those are the heroes. Let's listen to a moment of silence for the second plane hitting the second tower.
Ladies and gentlemen, please be seated. A solemn day for all Americans who lived through 9-11 and will never forget. Joining me now, former Secretary of State and First Lady Hillary Clinton. She was serving as U.S. Senator from New York on September 11th, 2001. Madam Secretary, thank you so much for joining me. You say September 11th is indelibly etched in your mind. You flew over the smoldering wreckage of the World Trade Center in a helicopter after the attack. What's going through your mind today, 21 years later? Well, Dana, um, every uh, time we approach September 11th, I do think about everything that I saw, all the people that I met, the families of those who lost loved ones. So it is indelibly um, part of my uh, memories. And I feel grateful that um, we were able to come together as a country at that really terrible time. We put aside differences. I wish we could find ways of doing that again. We rebuilt New York. Uh, We have done our best to take care of the families that lost so much on that terrible day. And we have also, I think, um, been reminded um, about how important it is uh, to try to deal with extremism of any kind, uh, especially when it uses violence to try to achieve political and ideological uh, goals. So I'm one who thinks that uh, there are lessons still to be learned from what happened to us on 9-11 that we should be very aware of uh, during this time in our country and the world's history. You, you mentioned how the country came together. I actually want to play a clip of what you told CNN the night of September 11th, 2001. You were talking to John Carl. I was Capitol Hill producer with him at the time. Listen to what you said about President Bush. This was an attack on America. And the president of the United States is our president, and we will support him in whatever steps he deems necessary to take. We can't let uh, these evil acts in any way uh, deter us from, you know, making it clear that the United States is resolute and we are going to support the president. Just listening to that, it is such a striking reminder of how all of America's elected officials really genuinely put party aside and came together after those attacks. Would that be possible today? Well, I hope that it will be. And I give President Biden a lot of credit for trying to continue to reach out to people while still sounding the alarm about uh, the threats to our democracy. You know, I remember very well um, two days after I gave that interview being in the Oval Office with then President Bush, uh, who asked me what we needed. And I told him we needed $20 billion to rebuild New York. And he said, you've got it. And he was good to his word. And there were all kinds of political conversations about that, but he never wavered. And I wish now that people would come together behind President Biden, who is uh, doing an amazing job trying to rebuild our manufacturing sector, trying to deal with climate change, expand health care and all the other things, including <laughs> trying to do something about gun violence that the vast majority of Americans approve of. So we are in a funny position, uh, Dana, because there's a small but very vocal, very powerful, very determined minority 
who wants to impose their views on all the rest of us. And uh, it's time for everybody, regardless of party, to say, no, that's not who we are as America. We are remembering Queen Elizabeth today. Most of us knew her from afar. You actually got to meet her personally. First as First Lady, you stayed with her later at Buckingham Palace when you were Secretary of State. You enjoyed her gardens with her. Can you tell us something about Queen Elizabeth that we wouldn't know, but you got to experience firsthand? Well, she was an engaging and lively conversationalist. She asked great questions. She was interested in what was going on um, in the United States, elsewhere in the world. Uh, Another one of my favorite memories is when Bill and I stayed with uh, her and Prince Philip on uh, the Britannia, what used Mm. to be the Royal Yacht, uh, as we commemorated uh, the 50th anniversary of D-Day. So we were in close quarters. Um, The Queen Mother was there. Uh, It was just like being with a a family that um, was having a good time together, uh, despite uh, the solemnity of the occasion. And so in my uh, encounters with her, um, I admired her devotion to duty and her sense of obligation uh, to the people of her nation. And she was never wavering from uh, what she said when she first became a very young queen until literally two days before Mm -hmm. she died, when she received the incoming prime minister. But I also saw a more playful and uh, somewhat... uh, you know, funny and uh, very incredibly warm uh, side of her as well. Well, the world just lost a female head of state who was on the throne for more than 70 years. She lived through 14 U.S. presidents, including your husband, as you mentioned, 15 British prime ministers, seven popes. In your private moments together, did you ever talk to her about what it's like to be a female leader? I I can't say that I talked at any length. Um, Sometimes there would be, uh, you know, a a wry exchange um, (laughs) about, uh, you know, how uh, as a woman leader, you always had to have your hair done. And of course, she always looked perfect, uh, unlike some of us. Uh, She had a sense of style that really stayed with her. Uh, And so I, I knew that her sense of, who she was and the role she played uh, literally governed her life from every second of it. And, you know, I heard an interesting statistic, uh, Dana, which is that nine out of 10 people alive in the world today were born after she became queen. Wow. So she not only lived through this period, but, you know, 90% of the people in the world had her as a symbol of a strong, uh, stalwart uh, woman leader. And yes, as she herself would say, uh, she didn't have the powers that the first Mm -hmm. Queen Elizabeth did. (laughs) She had the the role of uh, continuity and all of the presidents, all of the prime ministers, everyone that she met, I think saw that twinkle in her eye and maybe we're lucky enough to exchange uh, pleasantries that went beyond just the official uh, greetings. And that's how I felt. I felt very fortunate to see her in different settings over the you know, time that uh, I knew her as first lady and then secretary of state. We're going to have more of my interview with Hillary Clinton at, at noon Eastern. So tune in for that. But still ahead, we'll bring you President Biden's remark live and next... 
The British ambassador to the U.S. joins us to discuss what's ahead for the U.K. after the Queen's death, including her funeral and the challenges facing King Charles. We are live in Scotland following Queen Elizabeth's final journey through the countryside here, the countryside she loved so much. The hearse carrying her coffin is getting closer and closer to the Palace of Holyrood House here in Edinburgh, making its way from Balmoral Castle to the official residence of the monarch of Scotland. Hello everyone, I'm Don Lemon with CNN's coverage of the United Kingdom's farewell to the Queen. And I have uh, my colleagues with me here, Richard Quest, uh, is in Edinburgh, and Max Foster and Christian Amanpour are at Buckingham Palace. Hello once again to um, my colleagues uh, at Buckingham Palace and Richard Quest here. We have been watching uh, the coffin and the procession, or cortege, um, both interchangeable, uh, rolling through the beautiful countryside, uh, uh, the Scottish countryside. Uh, this is her final uh, elegant journey. It is, and it, the... the uh procession is making good progress now on the main road down the eastern coast of, uh, of Scotland and it'll be in Dundee very shortly and that'll be another test as the day has got longer and older it's now quarter past two in the afternoon how many people have come out but what we'll look for then after Dundee few more cities and villages before arriving here where there will be a great deal of ceremony as the coffin is taken from the hearse and then laid to rest overnight yeah. at Hollywood. If you have sharp ears, you can hear the crowd is gathering um, around uh, Richard Quest and I uh, and the horde of media as well who are here to uh, watch this all happen in the capital of uh, Scotland. Um, the and crowds, I the crowd, can I just, the, yeah. you can see here is the car that's coming in. Where... In, as we now go into the population centres, the crowds are starting to, yeah, to really get up. And we are keenly aware that there are, we're marking two different occasions here, uh, connected, mm -hmm. uh, of course, but we're mourning the death of Queen Elizabeth II, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, and we're also marking the proclamation um, of a new king, King Charles III. This is really a new era uh, in the monarchy, and it's going to be quite a transition, Christian Amanpour, Max Foster, I should say, quite a transition to the new monarchy and also uh, for the United Kingdom, uh, the Commonwealth, uh, and the realms. It's amazing, isn't it, watching these images of people just lining the entire route, even in the most rural areas of Scotland, we've seen people come out. And it feels like everyone's coming out. I guess you would as a moment of history but also showing the dedication of the people of Scotland to the former Queen. In terms of the transition, the big test, of course, is whether or not um, the King can command such crowds and such loyalty that um, she commanded. So far, at the very beginning of his reign, he seems to be connecting with a lot more people than I expected. He's more open, he's less formal, he's really stepping up to the position. Uh, but today is very much about the people of Scotland having their moment with the late Queen, um, the hearse heading towards Edinburgh, uh, where you are, where it, uh, the coffin will rest in the Palace of Holyrood, which is, uh, was the Queen's seat, is now the King's seat in in Scotland, and uh, then, of course, there'll be a service of remembrance and a vigil at St Giles Cathedral. But we're really getting our first sense of the public response here. And for people to come out and stand along a busy road and 
just, just to have this moment of history, just imagine what the queue is going to be like outside Westminster Hall when she's lying in state. Uh, uh, yeah. So this is the hearse um, and the cortege or the procession, whatever you like to call it, um, heading from Balmoral uh, to Edinburgh. There is a, a relatively short procession here, but there's a backup procession as well some way behind. You've got Princess Anne in the car behind and her husband, Timothy Lawrence, as the representatives of the royal family. You've also got the minister from Craithy Church at Balmoral, who the Queen was extremely close to and looked to for spiritual guidance throughout the summer when she would reside at Balmoral. And this is uh, the people of Scotland being given a chance really to have their moment. Uh, between the urban areas, um, the car's travelling quite quickly, but in the in the urban areas, they're slowing down so people can just catch a glimpse of the hearse draped with the, with the flag, the sovereign's flag, and um, a, a, a bouquet of flowers lying on top as well, which was selected by the Queen. Everything you see here was organised and approved, not organised specifically by the Queen, but all approved by the Queen and the current King. So this is a deeply personal reflection of how the Queen wanted uh, the, this period of mourning to be reflected to the nation and the world. Yeah, it's amazing all the people who are lining the streets uh, to see her. We have seen uh, farmers uh, in tractors. We've seen people in small towns and farmhouses coming out, some of them waiting for hours. When you get to uh, the bigger cities and the bigger towns, you will see more people. Uh, and also people who are driving by. It's interesting they didn't close the, the interstate down or the, the highway down coming the opposite way. So I'm, I imagine there were people who were quite surprised to see the Queen's funeral procession headed towards them as they're making their way down the highway on a, on a Sunday afternoon uh, in Scotland. Listen, there's lots of page pageantry, Christiane Amanpour, uh, pomp and circumstance. But this is about so much more than that. And it's even more, it's uh, more than mourning. This is about the transition, the peaceful transition of power. Exactly, and also gratitude for the Queen's long life and her dedication to service, as she said when she, you know, even before she took the throne on her 21st birthday, that my promise to you, the people, whether my life be long or short, is to serve you throughout my life. And she did that. I think we're having a bit of an issue with Christiana's microphone. Christiane, we're having a, a, a bit of an issue with your microphone, but we're just going to listen in for a moment. So that, that was, we wanted to get that moment in because we have been um, watching and listening to um, the Queen. It's quite, we can call them her subjects because that's what Absolutely. they are. That's what Absolutely. they are. Um, but there has been, it's been an outpouring, but mostly applause and, hmm. and, and silence, um, not wailing and mourning as you would, as you would um, one might think. Christian Amanpour, we talked about that. And the reason for that is she lived a long and prosperous life of service, and this is a natural transition, not a sudden shock of the death or tragedy that was unexpected, quite frankly. 
Do you know, that's exactly right. And, and in terms of the visuals, and the Queen was famous for saying during her reign that, you know, they have to see it to believe it. They have to see us to believe us. Hence, so much is public and has been made public under her reign with the advent of television and all the rest of the media revolution. Just about all the important things are televised and there are cameras there and microphones there to say that while her you know, procession is making its way to the capital of Scotland. Here behind us in Buckingham Palace, people are also flooding to the scene. It's not just outside the palace itself right now. Well, it is because all people are, are filling the mile, the huge avenue that leads from the palace beyond the Victoria statue down to Trafalgar Square is packed with people. So they're also here because the king has been making some journeys back and forth to the, from the palace to his residence, which is literally about 100, 200 yards uh, distance. So they're, they're seeing it all happen in real time and in vivid technicolor. And I think also, you know, everybody's coming out to say thank you, to shed a tear or to say a prayer, because as everybody's been saying, almost nobody has been alive other than under this monarch's reign. And it's pretty, it's pretty incredible to see, and she has, kept her promise, as her son said, it was not just a life lived well, but a promise with destiny kept. And I think that's what they're reacting to as well. Yeah, yeah. not many people in the world, as you, we were listening to the former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton in an interview with Dana Bash just moments ago, uh, saying it is believed that nine out of 10 people who are alive today uh, only know this queen, this queen. So, Dana Bash, um, a, a momentous day here uh, in the UK, really around the world. 70 years on the throne, and that is quite a reign for the late Elizabeth II. It sure is, Don. And here with me in Washington is Britain's ambassador to the U.S., Karen Pierce. Thank you so much, Madam Ambassador, for coming in. We are sorry for, for your loss. We're, you and I were watching these extraordinary pictures together. What goes through your mind as you are thinking about the Queen making her final journey through Scotland? Uh, well, thank you, Dana. Could I just start by yes. expressing sympathy to the American people uh, on the anniversary of, of 9-11? So I know this is a very important day uh, for America and indeed those of us who also lost uh, people in 9-11. Um, I think one watches the Queen and I feel very emotional uh, but it's a combination of thinking of a remarkable person uh, coupled with the embodiment, if you like, of British history uh, and the British state and the British people all rolled into one. Uh, I think it is right that she lived a, a good life. Uh, her service is exemplary, 70 years. Uh, I think it's very sad to think that has finally come. But as your presenter said, it's a moment also of renewal. Mm -hmm. uh, and those twin themes of loss and renewal, I think, go backwards and forwards in people's minds. You have been part of Her Majesty's service for a very long time. Yes. Sir. You were ambassador to Afghanistan, right. speaking of 9-11, ambassador to the United Nations. Uh, now, of course, the ambassador here in the U.S. So many people around the world sort of think they understand what the queen meant to her, to her subjects. But explain what it is like as uh, somebody who has served her for so long. Uh, I feel intense loyalty. I think all my colleagues do. Uh, you really look at the queen and think there is nothing you would not be prepared to do uh, for her. Our service is dedicated to her, like the armed forces. Uh, but I think one's also conscious of quite how much history she's seen 
She has almost defined the era after the Second World War. Uh, every decade, with all its momentous triumphs and defeats, she has been there. She's met a huge number of world leaders. She's met 13 of the past 14 American presidents, uh, for example. She has just always been there. And uh, as you look at her, at least what I think of is quite how much history uh, she's seen. And when you talk to her, I had the honor to have an audience with her when I went to New York. She could talk about the beginning of the United Nations, mm. which as a princess she'd been at. What was it like? Talk about some of those private moments as much as you can. Uh, well, we have a convention that we don't say what, what the Queen says to you, but she could not be more warm uh, or better at putting people uh, at their ease. I think everyone goes in very nervous. Certainly we did. Mm -hmm. uh, she has a fantastic smile and she has quite a mischievous sense of humour. At the same time, she has the most phenomenal memory. Mm. She could recall, as I say, the United Nations uh, event, but other events she could recall, meeting President Reagan, uh, for example, and President Biden uh, at Carbis Bay and, and Glasgow. I had a later conversation with her on, on the phone. She was incredibly interested in American politics. Mm -hmm. uh, she studied American history as a child. Uh, the master who taught her English constitutional history was actually an American history specialist. Mm. Uh, so he threw that in for good measure. Uh, she read the embassy's cables. Uh, she would talk to me uh, about American politics. And that's, that's an incredible thing to be able to chat to the Queen uh, who has seen it all yeah. about what's happening well, in America. I guess America. when you think about the history of America it makes, and the history of Great Britain, and exactly, <laughs> it makes exactly, sense that she exactly. was interested. But she really believed in the friendship. She yeah. was um, very proud of the fact that values and principles started, if you like, in the Magna Carta, mm -hmm. had been picked up, she said very vividly, by the founding fathers. We're almost out of time. You are the first female ambassador from Great Britain to, uh, to the United States. There was a very, very long list of men before you. Just briefly, what did the Queen mean for women and girls in Great Britain and around the, and around the globe? She was the ultimate figurehead uh, and the ultimate role model. There was no one above the Queen. So there might be lots of men between you and the Queen, but at the end of it all, there was the Queen, uh, which was fantastic. And in fact, uh, she accepted, I accepted on her behalf, a Ruth Bader Ginsburg Award for Women in Leadership oh, last wow. year, which was also fantastic honor. She was very pleased to get that. Madam Ambassador, thank you so much for coming in. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. And stay with us as we follow the coffin of Queen Elizabeth en route to Edinburgh. And we are watching the throngs of mourners out there. You see it paying their respects. And also at the Pentagon, President Biden is getting ready to speak in commemoration of the 9-11 attacks. It's all ahead. Don't go anywhere. Bubbles. Bubbles. So many bubbles. As an Expedia member, you earn points on your travels. And that's on top of your airline miles. So you can go and see or taste or do absolutely nothing with all those bubbles without ever wondering if you're getting the most out of your trip. Because you are. When it came to my digestive issues, I got a lot of advice. High fiber diet. Low fiber diet. Go gluten free. Then I found Culturel Digestive Daily Probiotic. And now I'm the one giving the advice. Also try Culturel Women's Healthy Balance.
You would think a pan is a pan until Made In came along, and I went, wow, these things are something better. Those are the pans that we use at Alinea, at one of the best restaurants in the world. It's built for a home cook like me, but fit for Alinea like him. Did you or a loved one serve, live, or work at Camp Lejeune between 1953 and 1987? You may be entitled to compensation. A new bill could allow service members, families, and civilians who served, lived, or worked at Camp Lejeune to seek compensation for injuries caused by toxic water. Toxic water at Camp Lejeune has been linked to certain cancers, multiple myeloma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, leukemia, Parkinson's disease, infertility, birth injuries, and other health complications. Do not wait. Contact Thomas J. Henry today. Age comes with wisdom, and wisdom comes with benefits. Dryer's broken. Okay. You want a socket. That's especially true when it comes to Medicare. So make the wise call and learn more about Cigna Medicare plans in your area. Their tools and resources make it simple and easy. Bears can smell Wi-Fi. Visit CignaWiseCall.com today. You'd want to flip it. My asthma felt anything but normal. A blood test helped show my asthma is driven by eosinophils, which Nucala helps reduce. Nucala is a once-monthly add-on injection for severe eosinophilic asthma. Nucala is not for sudden breathing problems. Allergic reactions can occur. Get help right away for swelling of face, mouth, tongue, or trouble breathing. Infections that can cause shingles have occurred. Don't stop steroids unless told by your doctor. Tell your doctor if you have a parasitic infection. May cause headache, injection site reactions, back pain, and fatigue. Ask your asthma specialist about a new normal with Nucala. The new 2023 GMC Sierra AT4X is equipped to conquer the great outdoors or the great indoors. Welcome to the peak of premium off-roading. The new 2023 GMC Sierra AT4X. GMC, we are professional grade. Once in a lifetime, there are certain athletes who come along and they transcend the sport. Serena did that for tennis. She's a powerhouse on the court and off the court. Don't just walk away. Let us celebrate you. Serena Williams on her terms tonight at 8. The future. The way you see it is said to depend on where you sit. At Xchair, we think it also gets down to how you sit, which is why our technology is light years ahead. Xchair has done it again with our groundbreaking LMAX technology, providing hours of infinite comfort no matter where in the world you're sitting. By synthesizing the universe's elements, bringing hot, cold, and touch into one extraordinary seating experience, our mission is to help you discover that every workday can happen with body and mind in an out-of-this-world place of comfort and productivity. X-Chair is charting a new course, helping workers everywhere find comfort as their work worlds zoom back and forth. Even though your work reality may continue to shift, we've got our eye on the future of work so you can focus on the present. At X-Chair, we're gazing ahead. And from where we sit, the future still feels good. X-Chair works for you. Save up to $600 on a new X-Tech plus a free XHMT now. The Windsors Inside the Royal Dynasty. Tonight at 9 on CNN. Welcome back. We're following the ceremonies taking place both in New York and at the Pentagon. We want to pause and listen to the uh, commemoration service happening as we speak at the Pentagon. 
Ladies and gentlemen, please stand for the invocation. I invite you to pray with me on this solemn occasion. Almighty God, we thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for being here with us today. In your mighty name, amen. Ladies and gentlemen, I now invite you to enjoy a moment of silence with us as we remember our fallen 21 years ago today in this very place at 0937. Absolutely beautiful and gut-wrenching all Ladies at and the gentlemen, same time. Uh, John King, your reflections. Uh, that was when we knew the scope, when the Pentagon was hit. Um, the two planes, when the second plane hit the second tower, remember Andy Carr, George W. Bush's chief of staff, walked into that classroom in Florida and said a second plane has hit the second tower. America is under attack. Uh, then it was an attack on New York City, on the financial capital of America. I remember being in Lafayette Park when we first saw the smoke coming up across the Potomac River and trying to figure out what was that. Uh, you're at Lafayette Park, the White House is here, you look over the river sort of at one o'clock, two o'clock, that's where the Pentagon is. We didn't know at first, but the smoke was coming up. Uh, that's when you realized uh, this was an enormous attack and, and the questions exploded even more. It wasn't just New York, it was Washington, it wasn't just the financial capital of America, it was the political and the military capital of America that was under attack. Um, I lived in an apartment right across the street from the Pentagon in those days, and there was a turret in the building, and it looked out over that hole in the building. And I just remember, those were long days. Every night you went home from the White House, and you just look out that window and watch the smoke come up, mm. and the smoldering come up for days and days and days. There was remarkable heroism at that site. Uh, Barbara knows it better, but even Secretary Rumsfeld, uh, among those who were just trying to help people, help heroes on that day. It's a very touching, it's a very simple, but very touching memorial on the grounds of the Pentagon. It is worth the walk. It is worth a walk. You talk about the smoke billowing up. I, I mentioned in the interview with uh, Secretary Clinton that I was at the Capitol on 9-11. I was a producer at the time, and I remember going in as the second plane was hit, and the Capitol Police at that time were trying to help me. They understood me. You know, it's kind of all a, a community up there. They knew me. They knew I needed to get to work. 
And as soon as I hit the up button in the elevator in the Capitol, they evacuated. And it was because the plane had just hit the Pentagon. And people who were in the building, who were looking out the west front of the Capitol, could see the smoke coming from across the Potomac River. And that's when everybody started to evacuate and run, including myself. The psychological impact of that recognition that it wasn't just New York, it was also the Pentagon, and it could be somewhere else, too, is something that we are still living with, I think, as a country. Everything that we know now is that the threat could be anywhere. And I think prior to that, I think Americans, you know, bad things happened in this country prior to 9-11. But the feeling that we could all be at risk was something that was so acute in those moments on that day and in the days and weeks and even years that followed it. And it's the way that now when we get on airplanes, uh, our whole experience in an airport has changed. But our whole experience in all facets of our lives have changed. The security infrastructure of this country is now permanent because of 9-11. And this acknowledgement that, you know, it's sad to say it, but, but I think we felt it in that moment. Nobody really felt safe if they were in Washington or if they were in Atlanta or if they were in San Francisco or in everywhere in between. And that's what made, I think, 9-11 so different and so searing for this country. You couldn't escape it from sea to sea in this country, the feeling of insecurity in that moment. No question. Everybody stand by. We are waiting for President Biden to speak at the Pentagon. Just minutes from now, we are going to take it to you live. Our special coverage continues after a quick break. To honor the fallen of 911, to remember and reflect and to reaffirm our. Just over one year ago. A day ago, of remembrance on this September 11th as Americans mark 21 years since the deadliest terrorist attack on U.S. soil in history. We're just moments away from remarks from President Biden at the Pentagon. We're seeing Secretary Austin speak right now. I want to go to the Pentagon. Barbara Starr is there. Barbara, your reflections as we wait to hear from President Biden. Well, I'm remembering I met Lloyd Austin as an army general on top of a mountain in Afghanistan. He served in combat tours and very quickly was sent there after uh, the 9-11 attacks. And where you're looking at the Pentagon right now, a wall of flame on that day. The fire was intensive. It shot up all five floors of, of the Pentagon as emergency services arrived and struggled to get the dead and the wounded out of there. I think it's also worth remembering Don Rumsfeld was Secretary of Defense that day. Whatever you want to say about how he handled the job in the years after that, on that day, he immediately went to the attack site. And against the objections of his security team, he stayed and he started carrying stretchers and assisting there until they absolutely made him go back inside. You've heard me say this before. I want to say it again. On that day, the headquarters of the world's strongest military was attacked. And on that day, in this place at the Pentagon, personnel stayed. There was no retreat, no surrender. And they moved ahead with what they knew they would have to do and go against al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. Dana? Jane Harmon, you are joining us now. You were a member of the House Intelligence Committee in 2001. What's going through your mind? Well, it's a somber day, a day of remembrance and resolve. 
And I was in Washington, too, on that day. I'm in New York, by the way, and uh, just a mile or so from Ground Zero. And my hearts go out not only to all those who were there and their families, but to the firefighters who were climbing up those towers as they were glowing red. It's an amazing sacrifice by first responders here. Uh, But what was going through my mind was I was walking toward the dome of the Capitol. That is where the House Intelligence uh, Committee rooms were then. Uh, I was co-chair of a special subcommittee on terrorism. I had been part of a a commission that predicted a major attack on U.S. soil, but nobody was listening. And when I got to the Capitol, Dana, it was sort of like your experience. They said it was closed. I was outraged that the capital of the United States, even if it were a target, would be closed when the members of Congress take an oath to protect and defend uh, our our defense. And our our buildings closed. We were all milling around in front. Uh, There was no real uh, evacuation plan or continuity of government. Jane Harman, stand by one second, please. We're going to listen to President Biden, and then we'll get back to you. Secretary Austin, General Milley, to all the families and loved ones who still feel the ache of that missing piece of your soul, I'm honored to be here with you once more to share this solemn rite of remembrance and reflect on all that was lost in the fire and ash on that terrible September morning and all that we found on ourselves to respond. 21 years ago, 21 years and we still kept our promise, never forget. We'll keep the memory of all those precious lives stolen from from us. 2,977 at Ground Zero in New York and Shanksville where my, my wife is speaking now in Pennsylvania. 184 of them here at the Pentagon. And I know for all those of you who've lost someone, 21 years is both a lifetime and no time at all. It's good to remember these memories help us heal, but they can also open up the hurt and take us back to that moment when the grief was so raw. You think of everything Everything they could have done if they had lived and just had a little more time. The experience you missed together. The dreams they never got to fulfill or realize. I remember a message sent to the American people from Queen Elizabeth. It was on September 11. Her ambassador read a prayer of service at St. Thomas Church in New York where she poignantly reminded us, quote, grief is the price we pay for love. Grief is the price we pay for love. Many of us have experienced that grief, and you've all experienced it. And on this day, when the price feels so great, Jill and I are holding all of you close to our hearts. Terror struck us in that brilliant blue morning The air filled with smoke, and then came the sirens and the stories. Stories of those we lost, stories of incredible heroism from that terrible day. The American story, 
The American story itself changed that day. But what we did change, what we will not change, what we cannot change, never will, is the character of this nation that the terrorists thought they could wound. And what is that character? The character of sacrifice and love, of generosity and grace, of strength and resilience. In the crucible of 9-11, in the days and months that followed, we saw what stuff America's made, Americans are made of. Think of all of your loved ones, particularly those on that flight, ordinary citizens who said, we will not let this stand, risked and lost their lives so even more people would not die. We saw in the police officers and firefighters who stood on the pile on Ground Zero for months amid that twisted steel and broken concrete slabs, breathing the toxins and ash that would damage their health, refusing, refusing to stop the search through the destruction. They never stopped and would not. We learned about the extraordinary courage and resolve, as I said, of the passengers on board Flight 93. One understood that they were living the open, they were there in the middle of the open shot of a new war and who chose to fight back, not professionals, a fight back sacrificing themselves, refusing to let their plane be used as a weapon against even more innocence. And here at the Pentagon, which was both the scene of the horrific terrorist attack and the command center for our response to defend and protect the American people, so many heroes were made here. So many of your loved ones were those heroes began almost immediately with civilians and service members leaping to action as the walls collapsed and the roof began to crumble. They raced into the breach between the fourth and fifth corridors. The impact created by the fire raged at twice the height of this building. I remember I was a U.S. Senator walking up to my office and I could see the smoke and flames they were heroes. They went back into those soaring flames to try to save their teammates. Firefighters battled a blaze of jet fuel long into the night, pushing past the bounds of exhaustion. Pentagon staff showed up to work on September 12th, more determined than ever to keep their country secure. I said when I was up on 9-11, we will follow them to the gates of hell to be sure that they're not able to continue. And millions of young men and women from across the nation responded to 9-11 attacks with courage and resolve, signing up to defend our Constitution and joining the greatest fighting force in the history of the world. And in the years since 9-11, Hundreds of thousands of American troops have served in Afghanistan, Iraq, and so many other places around the world to deny terrorists a safe haven and to protect the American people. 
and to all our service members and their families, our veterans, our Gold Star families, all the survivors and caregivers and loved ones who've sacrificed so much for our nation. We owe you, we owe you an incredible, an incredible debt, a debt that can never be repaid, but will never fail to meet the sacred obligation to you to properly prepare and equip those that we send into harm's way and care for those and their families when they come home. And to never, ever, ever forget, through all that has changed over the last 21 years, the enduring resolve of the American people to defend ourselves against those who seek us harm and deliver justice to those responsible for the attacks against our people has never once faltered. It took 10 years to hunt down and kill Osama bin Laden, but we did. And this summer, I authorized a successful strike on Zawahiri, the man who bin Laden was his deputy on 9-11, who was the leader of Al-Qaeda, because we will not rest. We'll never forget. We'll never give up. And now Zawahiri can never again threaten the American people in 20 years after Afghanistan is over. But our commitment to preventing another attack in the United States is without end. Our intelligence, defense, and counterterrorism professionals in the building behind me and across the government continue their vigilance against terrorist threats that has evolved and spread to new regions of the world. We'll continue to monitor and disrupt those terrorist activities wherever we find them, wherever they exist, and we'll never hesitate to do what's necessary to defend the American people. What was destroyed, we have repaired. What was threatened, we fortified. What was attacked, the indomitable spirit has never, ever wavered. We raised monuments and memorials to the citizens whose blood sacrificed on these grounds and in Shanksville and Ground Zero to keep touch of the memory, keep it bright, for all the decades to come. When future generations come here to sit in the shade of the maple trees that shelter the memorial grown tall and strong with passing years, they will find the names of patriots. They will feel the connection that will come to pass on September 11, 2001, and how our country was forever changed. And I hope they will think about all those of all those heroes that were more than the hours and days and years that followed. Ordinary Americans responding in extraordinary and unexpected ways. I hope we'll remember that in the midst of these dark days, we dug deep, we cared for each other, and we came together. You know, we regained the light by reaching out to one another and finding something all too rare, a true sense of national unity. To me, that's the greatest lesson of September 11. Not that we will never again face a setback, but that in the moment of great unity, we also had to face down the worst impulses fear, violence, recrimination directed against Muslim Americans, as well as Americans of Middle Eastern and South Asian heritage. 
is that for all our flaws and disagreements and the push and pull of all that makes us human, there is a nation that cannot accomplish. There's nothing this nation cannot accomplish when we stand together and defend with all our hearts that which makes us unique in the world, our democracy. We're not only a nation based on principles, but we are based on an idea, unlike we're the most unique nation in the world, an idea that everyone is created equal and should be treated equally throughout their lives. We don't always live up to it, but we've never walked away from it. That's what makes us strong. That's what makes us who we are. And that's what those hijackers most hoped to destroy when they targeted our buildings and our people. They failed. No terrorist could touch the wellspring of American power. And it falls to us to keep it safe on behalf of all those we lost 21 years ago, on behalf of all those who have given their whole souls to the cause of this nation every day since. That's a job for all of us. It's not enough to gather and remember each September 11th, those we lost more than two decades ago. Because on this day, it is not about the past, it's about the future. We have an obligation, a duty, a responsibility to defend, preserve, and protect our democracy. The very democracy that guarantees the rights of freedom that those terrorists on 9-11 sought to bury in the burning fire and smoke and ash. And that takes a commitment on the part of all of us. Dedication, hard work, every day. For always remember, the American democracy depends on the habits of the heart of we the people. That's how our Constitution, we the people. And the habits of heart of we the people. It's not enough to stand up for democracy once a year or every now and then. It's something we have to do every single day. So this is a day not only to remember, but a day of renewal and resolve for each and every American. And our devotion to this country, to the principles it embodies, to our democracy, that is who we owe those who remember today. That is what we owe one another, and that is what we owe future generations of Americans to come. I have no doubt we will do this. We will meet this significant responsibility. We'll secure our democracy together as one America, the United States of America. That's who we are. That's who your loved ones were and why they gave so much. Thank you. May God bless you all. And may God honor the members of the military we lost and all those we lost here on 9-11. May God protect our troops. Ladies and gentlemen, please President Biden, singing of God bless America. let's listen in to Let's listen in.
while the storm clouds gather far across the sea. Let us swear allegiance to a land that's free. Let us God bless America at uh, the Pentagon across the river in Virginia. We just heard uh, a very powerful speech from President Biden. uh, First talking about, as he unfortunately uniquely can talk about grief and what it is like to think about people who passed away, even if it's 21 years ago when the anniversary comes, it feels like it is yesterday. But then ending the speech with a very robust defense and explanation of democracy and a, and a reminder that what the terrorists were trying to do on 9-11 was to splinter and even end democracy, targeting pillars and symbols of democracy and killing those people in those buildings along with it. Uh, Jane Harmon, I want to bring you back. We were talking before President Biden was speaking. What were your thoughts as the president gave that, uh, that that particular plea to remember how fragile democracy is. I thought it was very important. He also said it was important to look forward. And let me just mention, Dana, uh, when, when he began speaking and I, had, I was in mid-flight, I said that the Capitol closed on 9-11, and I thought how wrong that was. Many of us Uh, argued for reopening it. And when it reopened at 5 p.m. on 9-11, about 150 members of Congress stood together on the Capitol steps and sang, God bless America. Mm -hmm. And what what, uh, I remember from that moment was nobody cared if the person next to them was a Republican or a Democrat. 
All we cared about was that America was under attack and America would fight back. And we have not had another significant terrorist attack on U.S. soil since 9-11. It's worth celebrating that in spite of everything else that's happened and the rise of domestic terrorism and other threats from China and Russia's invasion of Ukraine and other things that we face. Uh, But I think that uh, on this day, as Joe Biden said, uh, that there is uh, not only the heroism of the first responders and those who lost family members to remember and celebrate, but there is the resilience of America and the fact that the terrorists could not destroy, could not destroy our soul. And he says that frequently now. And I think it's a very, very important message uh, to communicate. No, it's so true. And I'm so glad you brought up uh, what happened at the Capitol, singing God Bless America. I was there watching it. And my memory is that it was impromptu. It just kind of happened. Everybody gathered still in a state of shock. Uh, John King, the whole question of and sort of the balance of remembering and as the former congresswoman just said, being quite happy about the fact that there hasn't been an attack anywhere close to that scale, uh, certainly from somebody abroad since 9-11, we've had to change the way that we live. And it has come at some cost. Uh, it has. Uh, the security apparatus uh, changed dramatically. The creation, again, of the TSA at airports, the creation of the Department of Homeland Security, the creation of the Director of National Intelligence, just the whole uh, security state around America understandably and justifiably changed. 21 years later, there are conversations about should adjustments be made. Uh, we're having the very same conversation coming. We're not really out of the COVID pandemic, but it's the new phase of the COVID pandemic. Uh, America and the world has to do big things at moments of immediate challenge. And then one of the challenges then is two years, five years, 10 years, now 21 years later. Um, do we need to rethink it? Uh, some people almost view, view that as sacrilege, right? Because it was built at such an important moment. The president just touched on there uh, at something that he believes is critically important that hurt him politically, which was the messy withdrawal of Afghanistan. Another neg- legacy of 9-11 was America's longest war. And- uh, yeah, and I, I, Joe Biden is such a fascinating figure for for this moment. But as we reflect on 9/11, the roles that he's played. But he talked about the unity that the country experienced in those moments. He was a part of that as a senator, basically backing the Republican administration at that time and the steps that they thought needed to be taken. But as his career went on, his views on that changed. He wanted to get out of Afghanistan. He wanted to get out of Iraq. Uh, his views on that change. And I think it is also reflective of, again, this younger generation of Americans whose only lives have been experienced in this post 9-11 world. Those people are, like Joe Biden in this speech, starting to turn inward, looking at our own country and, and asking, what price did we pay? And should we be looking at ourselves and looking at our own democracy and strengthening that? Should we be rethinking our engagement abroad? Joe Biden is now the president who is living with that generation coming into their political power and saying, we need to rethink some of these things. And I think you heard a little bit of that in in that speech today. Biden was thinking about the future and and really trying to turn the conversation inward about how we strengthen this country domestically, not just thinking about defending America against threats abroad. You know, Abby, I'm glad you made that point, because I think it was so unthinkable in 
the context that we existed in in 9-11 that we would be talking about American democracy as the thing that's under threat right now. Uh, remember that that was really almost the high watermark of American power. Uh, it was just a decade after the end of the Cold War. There were no uh, Russia and China now uh, have been resurgent over the last couple decades, but at that time were not peer competitors of the United States. We were not, uh, you know, thinking that Russia was going to, you know, invade and try to revise uh, the terms of the Soviet Union's collapse. Here inside the United States, uh, remember that it was a divided country in 2000. I mean, that's the thing. It's not that America's divisions didn't exist at that time. It was basically a 50-50 election between Al Gore and George W. Bush. And yet, and yet the country rallied around George W. Bush in a way that I think everyone understands is almost unthinkable today. Can you imagine any president of the United States having a 90% approval rating, no matter how catastrophic the moment? And so right now, what we're looking at is a country that is almost talking to itself, right? Joe Biden isn't speaking to the world in that speech. He's speaking to the country, and it's almost a lament, unfortunately. Jane Harmon, I heard you wanted to get in here. You'll have the final word. Well, just to say, it's not a choice between focusing inward and focusing outward. We need to do both. Uh, looking back on the 21 years, we, made, we got some things right. We prevented a major uh, terrorist attack, but we got some things wrong. We over-militarized our response to 9-11 after we went into Afghanistan and achieved the objectives that Congress authorized uh, uh, right after that day uh, by a vote of uh, almost unanimous to one, one negative vote. Uh, we should have, looking back, uh, surged our soft power and, and put America in, into the world as a shining example of what we stand for. Let's think of the queen, duty and honor and the things that came to bear on 9-11. And we didn't do that enough. And so I would hope that Joe Biden, and I think he's trying to do this, would focus domestically as he needs to on that new generation that doesn't understand why we are involved in international affairs, or some of them don't, uh, but also focus internationally and resurge America's global leadership the way it was after World War II when we stood for uh, helping the world uh, uh, provide for more democracy, more opportunity, and, and showing that American generosity was a foremost value that we have. Jane Harmon, thank you so much for joining us on this solemn morning. Thank you, everybody here at the table, for your reflections. And still ahead, we're going to return to Scotland for live coverage of Queen Elizabeth beginning her final journey home. We're getting the answer to a question many dog lovers have been asking. What will happen to all the Queen's corgis. I want to know the answer to that. We'll be right back. I'm Don Lemon now live in Edinburgh. And as the Queen's procession gets closer and closer to here in Edinburgh, we want to take you out to the streets and CNN's Nick Robertson, who is on this route, and he will be close to it when she gets here. What are people doing out there, Nick? Don, it's starting to get a little quiet. There's this growing sense of expectation that the Queen isn't far away. The roads, the traffic has now been stopped. I'll just give you some orientation here. Um, 
Across the main road there, you can see beyond the crowds, that's where the Queen will come in from the north of the country. She'll cross over the large fourth road bridge, come into the centre of Edinburgh here. This is Prince's Street running along the road here. This is the main shopping avenue in the centre of Edinburgh. And then she will, t then the car will turn at this corner and pass the castle, you can see up there on the hill, the castle, round the back of the castle and over towards where you are. A lot of people are gathering here. Uh, there's a young family here. Um, what's important for you to be here today with your, with your, with your children? <laughs> Just to pay our respects to the Queen and she was actually named Georgia Elizabeth after the Queen. So we thought it'd be nice for her to grow up and be told that she was here today. And do you have memories of the Queen yourself? Oh yeah, I do. I just it's all we've ever known. And my my gran, she's not with us now, but she loved the Queen so much. So it just kind of makes me think of her as well. So. Yeah. And, Sorry, she's and tired. Uh, everyone's waiting. Everyone's <laughs> waiting. And you and you say you've you've you brought the dog down today as well. Well, yes. Just thought we, as I say, want to mark the momentous occasion and pay our respects. Um, and what did what does what did the Queen mean to you in your life? I think just really kind of she typified Britain and the kind of stiff British upper lip and just her kind of ongoing strength really, which I think you know was a, a big characteristic of hers. And um, I think that's she kind of summed up the British public in the way she carried herself. And, and how do you feel the country's handling this transition? Because now it's King Charles, and I know in London every time King Charles comes out of Buckingham Palace, there are big cheers go up. What, what, what's your sense of the transition? I think we'll take it quite smoothly. I think we'll, you know, we'll kind of get used to it. Obviously, there'll be things like the banknotes. There's going to be loads of things that'll change. But I think, again, as a country, we'll adapt and we'll, we'll roll with it as, as we do. Thank you very much. No problem at all. Thank you. So Don, after, after passing around the corner here, um, passing right beneath the castle, high up there on the rock above the city of Edinburgh here, an iconic piece of landscape here along the grass market and then down the Royal Mile to the Palace of Holyrood House. Don? Uh, thank you, Nick. We'll, we'll get back to you. I just want to show you now. I think the, the, the screen's very cross. I'm going to bring in now uh, Richard Quest, Christiane Amanpour, uh, and Max Foster there at Buckingham Palace. But let's stay here in Edinburgh for a minute. Uh, this is Queen's Ferry Crossing that we're looking it's at. It's a major now. intersection. It's a major thoroughfare into Edinburgh. Crossing the bridge now, and you can see the traffic on the other side slowing down to also pay their respects. Uh, the, just a matter of moments before the Queen... Uh, the late queen will be look at that magnificent bridge yeah just look at that structure but it's also an indication of just how close it would probably about 20 30 minutes um away uh and we're going to have a i, I would expect that the uh, procession and cortege to slow down perhaps quite considerably here in edinburgh because there there are are so, people, i mean as you can yeah. see from nick robertson the number of people who are on the streets here before they comes behind us which will it'll come past just well, behind us uh, yeah. to we'll get um, maybe a few seconds uh, to see the procession. It'll be, be enough, and hopefully uh, the cameras will be on us when that happens. But uh, what a beautiful shot of uh, coming across uh, Kings Ferry Crossing um, on their way to Edinburgh here. Crossing the Firth of Forth, yeah. which is the uh, body of water involved. Yeah. And speaking of crowds, uh, why don't we get to Buckingham Palace and our colleagues there. Um, Max, you know, the people have been out, it's just, you know, since this 
uh, since getting the, the notice of the Queen's death. And you actually announced it to the world here on, on CNN. I would imagine it is, there are throngs and throngs of, crowd, of, of people there um, just wanting to pay their respects, and they get there early in the morning, and many of them stay late into the evening. Yeah, they're just hoping for a glimpse, really, and they've got a couple of glimpses today. Uh, the Queen Consort recently just uh, left Buckingham Palace, and they all had a glimpse of her. That, you know, they've got this wonderful limousine here, which you can see, you know, full view of whoever's sitting in it. Uh, the King is currently still in Buckingham Palace, as we understand it, meeting uh, Commonwealth uh, ministers and the head of the Commonwealth. Uh, we're not going to see much more of him today, apart from his movements, because the focus is very much on what we're seeing now. So we've come over the Queen's Free Crossing, as Richard said, absolutely iconic image for many people in Scotland and quite emotional, I would have thought, to see her crossing that uh, towards the capital, Edinburgh. Uh, they'll come through, once they sort of come your way, they'll be going down Queensferry Road, Queensferry Street, and then into Princess Street, which is the main shopping street in Edinburgh. Uh, beautiful old buildings, you'll recognise them once you see them there, viewers. It's like, you know, we recognise these iconic sort of corners in Edinburgh and they'll all be there. You'll see the castle in the background as well. Um, people gathering more and more, people gathering on that bridge, as you can see, just to get a glimpse of the hearse. So I think once you get into Edinburgh, the capital, you know, real sort of population centre, uh, there'll be huge crowds on the outskirts and obviously in towards you. Um, and past, you know, the shops that people go to in Edinburgh and recognise. And then up towards the Palace of Holyrood, where you'll have that solemn um, handover, really, of the um, coffin from the duty of the Balmoral team over to the duty of the Holyrood Palace team and then uh, resting there in the palace overnight. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we, we have, um, uh, as we have been saying, Queen Anne, uh, who is in the procession as well, escorting her mother. Uh, before I get to the other folks here, I just wanted to get a quick break in and we'll come back and we'll continue our conversation. The Queen is getting closer and closer to Edinburgh where she will be here at just moments away um, crossing uh, Queen's Ferry, Queen's Ferry Crossing. Really a beautiful shot of the Queen in the procession. You're watching live coverage here on CNN. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Bending down to the ground to put on your shoes is kind of a pain. Until now. Introducing new Skechers Slip-Ins. Hands-free technology for your footwear. Just step in and off you go. Putting your shoes on has never been easier. Plus, they're even machine washable. Go hands-free with your footwear with new Skechers Slip-Ins. The landscape of modern wealth is complex. Challenges and opportunities intersect. That's why we created the Northern Trust Institute, using advanced analytics and the best financial expertise of our firm to develop advice that's tested and tailored. We help you navigate tax policy, the art world, impact investing, real estate properties, cryptocurrency, and beyond. Where there's a trend, we're ahead of it. Where there's a gap, we bridge it. Where there's your moment, we help you grab it. Technically, when enamel is gone, you cannot get it back, but there are ways you can repair it. I'm excited about Pronamel Repair because it penetrates deep into the tooth to help actively repair acid-weakened enamel. I recommend Pronamel Repair to my patients. In his explosive new book, retired Green Beret Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann tells the incredible story of the Green Berets who saved hundreds of Afghan lives as the country was seized by the Taliban. Operation Pineapple Express, on sale now. I was thinking that you and I have come to a little arrangement. What you call the team-up. Great catch! Touchdown! 
good to get that out? So satisfying. All the heroics in one place. See where it takes you. Prime Video. Are you ready for a fresh new bath or shower? Well, now is the best time with 50% off installation and no interest and no payments for one year. Hi, I'm Christina, and it's time to flip your old worn out bath or shower with Jacuzzi Bath Remodel today. Everyone knows the Jacuzzi brand. They're the most trusted name in water for over 60 years. But did you know they can install a gorgeous bath or shower that feels incredible in as little as one day? It's no stress and no mess with a lifetime warranty. Now let's talk beauty. You deserve to start and end your day in a beautiful space that feels great and is custom designed just for you. So call or go online now to see the Christina preferred designs like Canyon, Farm, and Urban. Now that's the total bathroom beauty that I love at a price you can afford. And how about safety? Like an ultra low profile, easy entry shower complete with grab bars and a custom design seat. You deserve safety and peace of mind without sacrificing style. Because with all the worries in daily life, taking a shower shouldn't be one of them. Every time I stepped over my old tub, I worried I might fall. I don't have those fears anymore. Jacuzzi Bath Remodel gave me a gorgeous shower that's safe too. I've been trying to get him to remodel that bath for years. I called and they did it in just one day. And at a price we could afford. With one call to Jacuzzi Bath Remodel, you can effortlessly transform that old, ugly eyesore into the stunning bath or shower of your dreams that you'll love for years to come. Call or go online to jacuzzibathremodel.com now to get up to 50% off installation. Plus, ask how you may qualify for no interest and no payments for 12 months. And when you call right now, we'll give you an additional safety upgrade free. Go to jacuzzibathremodel.com or call 800-993-9542. That's 800-993-9542. Call now. A monster was attacking, but the team remained calm. Because with Miro, they could problem solve together and find the answer that was right under their nose. Or his nose. We're back now with our continuing coverage here on CNN. As you can see, the motorcade there on the left side of your screen, uh, getting closer to Edinburgh on the outskirts here. Uh, and on the right side of your screen, you see crowds gathering, uh, getting ready for the procession uh, to pass. That procession is going to pass on Nick Robertson, and then shortly after that, Issa Suarez, and then uh, it'll get to us here, uh, where Richard Quest and I are. But just want to point out before we get to them quickly is that we're standing here, Richard and I, we can't turn the camera around, but we're looking at a mountain. It's called Arthur's Seat, and it's part of um, Holyrood uh, Park, uh, Holyrood House Park, and um, yeah. Holyrood House Park. So I keep, uh, this is a place where people will come on a, and a people, beautiful day. And they're but gathering now and they looking. Are, in, by the dozens and hundreds, they're at the top of Arthur's Peak because from there they're going to get the most tremendous view over Edinburgh as the cortege makes its way down Princess Street and past all the famous landmarks. It's really an amazing sight uh, to see people standing on top of the mountain I'm here. Sure. I'm, I'm, saying, I'm talk, speaking uh, really fast, but it's Holly Rood House. Uh, and also earlier, I want to say, before I get to Nick Robertson, I said, you told me I said Queen Anne instead of saying Princess Anne. The princess it just sort of slipped, yes. off the tongue, slipped off the tongue. Uh, I want to get now, let's get to Nick Robertson, who's out in the crowd. Nick, the, this procession is getting very close to you right now, and I'd imagine there is anticipation growing in the crowd. 
Uh, there really is. I mean, people have been coming down here over the past sort of hour or so gathering, Don, and, and people are really now waiting for that moment when they will be able to see the Queen's cortege drive by. There are, most people here have their, their cell phones out. They're ready to take a, a picture, a, a, way to memor, a way to remember the events of today. Police are here. It's very low-key. It's very relaxed. Everyone's just sort of waiting at the barriers, looking over, looking out, waiting, waiting and waiting. But as the, everyone here knows, it's the Queen's cortege isn't far away. The fourth road bridge just a few miles down the road. The traffic now has been shut off. It is quiet, just a sort of gentle chatter in the background as people talk with family and friends uh, as they wait. This Princess Street, as you were talking about before, um, very famous in Scotland, in Edinburgh, very famous with the tourists as well, somewhere people come to do their shopping. But today, it'll be remembered for a different reason, a different reason, the reason the Queen's final passage on this long, long uh, and important journey back to London, resting in here yeah. in Edinburgh for the next couple of days. But she'll be arriving, passing the iconic castle. But we're on one side and you're over there on the other side, Don. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Nick, I want you to stand by because as soon as uh, the, the motorcade gets to you, we'll come right back to you. But I just want to uh, speak to my colleague, uh, Richard Quest. It's really quite a moment uh, to watch. And that's, actually, you can feel the anticipation here for people who are um, awaiting the Queen and to, to really just thank her on her final journey for all the service, right? For the service of 70 years? It's, it's what the King said, thank you. Beloved mother, yeah. it's what you know. Paddington Bear said in that jubilee thing: "Thank you, ma'am, for everything." And individually, that's what you are seeing here: yeah. people who've got a memory of the Queen, who has been part of their lives, who have come out to say thank you, ma'am, yeah. for everything. If you're wondering why we're looking down and not looking at the camera, we are actually looking uh, at this. Is our, our monitor is below the camera, and we're just uh, trying to go along yes, with do the pictures. Me. Yes, I, yeah, so that we, <laughs> otherwise I don't know what I'm looking. At. <laughs> Because uh, Rich and I are looking down and they keep, they're telling us to look up at the cameras, but we're looking at the procession just as you are in awe of it. They're entering Edinburgh now. And just as predicted, Richard, you said that it would slow as it got closer to Edinburgh and the crowds. And that's exactly what has happened. Yes, we're not seeing people throwing flowers. Yet. I think that might come after the funeral and, 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 and thereafter. We're seeing a much more dignified, solemn, uh, almost, well, not almost, reverential mm -hmm. mood as people and the numbers are really quite building strongly you heard from nick you heard from isa both of whom are right in the middle of the royal mile on princess street mm -hmm. and now through this outer suburbs the procession makes its way when it gets here to uh, the palace of holyrood house it will be greeted by the bearers who will then take the coffin inside the palace where it will be taken to uh, the throne room yeah. to lay in rest. Well, we should remind people again of just how, see, these are aerials, right? These are helicopter shots at much of what you're looking at now. And, and these, this, this is lined for miles and miles and miles of people. And then even where we are, there's to the right of us, there's a line of people. And we've been hearing, uh, you know, dogs barking. People are bringing intentionally, we're told, their animals here because the the queen was such a dog lover. They're bringing their dogs and, and pets and um, just to, get a glimpse and to experience um, the day here. Uh, Nick Robertson is going to ju jump in as soon as it gets close to him, but we are just a couple minutes out. 
uh, in this procession. And uh, the, 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 the planning has been so far flawless. Yeah. It has gone exactly as intended. Um, and what will now happen is a series of complicated events with members of the royal family moving between Scotland and London. You're the Princess Royal who's already there in the second car there, the Bentley uh, behind along with uh, the minister from the church. And we will now start to see a choreography mm-hmm. of, uh, of military and ceremonial events that has to be done with military precision for the timings and for this. And you're going to see that in just about 15 minutes mm-hmm. when the uh, hearse arrives here at the palace. This is a trip that she took, you said, um, quite a lot. Oh. Uh, many, many times in her life she would fly um, to Balmoral and then drive back home to London. No, no, she she, she would fly to Aberdeen and then take that trip across. But she would also take the Royal Train. And there there had been a hope that the Royal Train could be used for this, but that wasn't possible. Yeah. Uh, Let's get to uh, our our colleagues at Buckingham Palace, um, where there are, uh, there's a crowd of people there that's been there really since the the announcement uh, of of the Queen's death. Um, Max Foster and Christian Amanpour. I would imagine that folks in the crowd are not paying attention to at least this part of her journey, but there's just an anticipation there of seeing her uh, as well as a new king, Max. Uh, Yeah, so we're slightly behind schedule here. It was uh, due that the coffin would arrive at the castle, the palace rather, at four o'clock. But as Richard says, absolutely impeccable otherwise. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode. 